I want to talk this morning uh, about a, a message is just kind of a, it's kind of tough to preach, to be honest. Uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, sometimes I feel real good about what God has given me to say, and sometimes I struggle with it for me or what. But in Second Th- Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to just jump in kind of at verse 5. All right, Paul is writing this, 2 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 5. He says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted as worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Verse 8 said, Because God is just, He will pay back trouble to those who have troubled you, and give grief to those <clears throat> who are troubled, or give relief to those who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with His powerful angels, and He will punish those uh, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel <clears throat> or the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. On the day He comes to be glorified His holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Now Paul says this to, the, uh, to this church. He says, when God is revealed in His glory and power, it includes you, the church he's talking to. So verse 11 says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, church, and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that we would focus our mind, our eyes, our hearts, our attention upon You. Father, You would speak to us from Your Word. And Father, uh, whatever rambling I may do today, Lord, I pray that You would take those words and they would find their way into Your people's hearts. And then, Father, you'd give us a spirit of understanding. And, Lord, today we wouldn't merely be hearers of the Word and deceive ourselves, but we would be doers of your Word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, this morning, uh, I don't know what, I don't kind of never know what to title my sermons, but but uh, what does it pay is kind of what I was thinking about or bouncing the budget or whatever, but... I got a question I don't want you to answer, but I want you to think about it. Does it really pay to serve God? I mean, does it really pay to serve God? So in our text that we just read, there's a group of young believers, and they are suffering a, a great deal of persecution. Now, with the times we live in today, we think we have persecution, and we do. The church has more persecution today than than we've had in my lifetime. Uh, if you're a Christian, you are uh, you're considered uh, what's wrong with America today by a lot of people, but not by everyone. But this church uh, in Thessalonica, there's they're they're serving. They have a great deal of persecution. 
Uh, we know from secular history, okay, not, not just from Bible, that during this time that a guy named Finney the Elder, he was a Roman historian. Uh, he was born there in 23 AD, so not too long after Christ uh, ascended. Uh, he noted that in, in Thessalonica, that was the first place that Gentiles were killed but because of their belief in Christ. So that, that was the first place it happened. That's the kind of persecution they were in because the local government had told the, uh, the Christians that are told everybody, you will bow down to Caesar Augustus, or Augustus Caesar, I think is, is how they say that, but uh, uh, you'll bow down to him. And, and when the church refused, when Christians refused, uh, there were crucifixions. That was the first place for crucifixions. There were burnings. That was the first place for burnings. There were, there were uh, great persecutions all during that time, but they started here in the first place the Roman Empire started enacting these things. And these, these Thessalonian Christians were in the middle of that. They were in the middle of all this persecution. So in his first letter to the, to the church, and that's 1 Thessalonians, uh, his first letter, Paul assured these Christians that the persecution that they were receiving was not because of the judgment of God. So they thought, well, God is judging us as Christians. No, he said it's not the judgment of God. It's because of your faith, your allegiance to God's Word. So they, they were confused about the, the judgment they had upon them or what they felt like was God's wrath being poured out upon them. And Paul says, no, uh, you're suffering persecution because you believe in me, because you, uh, because you believe in Christ, because you believe in God. But he also said that the day is coming that judgment is going to come. And when judgment comes, he's going to judge the unbelieving world. Okay, and by unbelieving, I'm talking about those who've never accepted Christ. You may believe in Christ, but if you've never accepted Him, you're part of the unbelieving world. So Paul says, "Hey, there's a day coming, and it's it's going to be the day of judgment, and and He's gonna He's gonna pour out wrath upon the unbelieving world, and at that time, your your persecution is going to stop." So Paul is teaching the church this, and he's uh, he's saying, "Hey, there's a day coming, and." And for the congregation there, and I want you to hear this, for the congregation there uh, in the Thessalonians, uh, they had begun to teach or begin to think about some things that we may even think about today unconsciously. And what they begin to think about is, hey, maybe the day of the Lord's already arrived. Maybe this word that that we've heard about the day of the Lord, it's already arrived. And they, they're thinking it's already time for believers to be uh, vindicated. It's already time that the wicked should be being punished. And, and if the day of the Lord's already arrived, why hadn't that already happening? So they were thinking in their mind, why isn't God revenging Christians right now? You may think that today. You know, uh, we have a, a terrible, I, I'm going to just say government in general. I'm not preaching about the government, against the government, for the government. I'm just telling you how it is. We have a government today that, that wants to remove Christianity from, uh, from the scene, period. Now, they haven't come to the point of, of saying you can't worship God, but that, that would ultimately be their desire. Keep it to yourself. So today we may be thinking, why doesn't God just come strike down all of these unbelievers? It would be so much better for us. You may have that in your mind because uh, when we look and we say, wait a minute, 
God should be judging. He should be vindicating Christians today. If you say that, you're thinking the day of the Lord's already came. We're saying, God, you've already came as the day of the Lord, so, so why, are you, why, why are you not punishing the wicked? Well, it's because that day is yet to come. Now, also in this church, and uh, during this time, there was a group of people that began to say, uh, since God's justice and judgment's not coming, uh, they, they begin to just uh, think maybe He's unable to do that. Or, or maybe He just really doesn't care to do that. Maybe He's not going to vindicate Christians. And they had kind of seized that delay of Christ coming uh, and, and using it as an excuse to just ignore God. Now I want you to think about that today. How many people today would say, man, it's just... I don't think God's going to judge the world. I don't think God's going to judge evil people. There's been evil people forever, and we've never seen God do anything about it. So, so maybe that's just not going to happen. Maybe that's just something that's not going to happen. So they, they begin to think that. They begin to, to teach that. Matter of fact, Paul wrote that some were saying, where's the promise of His coming? This is in 2 Peter 3, 4. And here's what they said. <coughs> and I've actually heard somebody say this before. Let me find it in my screen. Oh, since, the, since our fathers fell asleep, in other words, since, uh, since our forefathers died, all things, even up to now, have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. You know what they were saying? Hey, God said He's going to come, He's going to deliver His people, but my fathers, 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 all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam. God's never done it. So I don't think God's going to do it. So they get that in their mind, and Paul begins with a word uh, to this church. He first wants to encourage them. So he begins with a word of encouragement, and it's tended to, to kind of build them up spiritually to be stronger, to be bolder. Uh, they're suffering, and, and he wants them to, uh, to be able to continue to stand firm. So he, he gives three different things I want to talk about, and, and I'll just tell you all this morning, I'm going to stop when it's time to stop, whether I'm through or not, but we'll finish next week if, if I don't get through. But here's the first thing Paul did. He, he gave them the promise of rewards. You know what? There's nothing wrong, Christians, with thinking about the rewards that God is going to give you when you get to heaven. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, uh, if you're in a contest, whether you're cooking chili at the church or whether you're running a marathon, uh, you strive to win. Why? To get a reward. Now, that reward can come in a lot of different ways. It may come uh, in money, a trophy. It may come in a pat on the back, you know, but you you work towards getting rewards. So, so. Paul tells this church that, hey, there's a, there's a promise of rewards. In, in ch- verse, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, "...which is manifested for the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer." Now, when suffering comes in our lives, it's difficult to determine how those experiences should be interpreted. <clears throat> we, we, we get to thinking, you know, is God attacking me? You know, is God pouring His judgment out on me because of something? Is this, uh, is this something the world is doing? Is this some punishment that I'm suffering because of sin? But as Paul examined these, these Thessalonians, they were, they were only being persecuted and tested 
because of their belief in Christ. That's what the whole test was about. So, so they're, they're actually growing in their persecution. You know, I don't, I didn't write this scripture down, but I think it's Paul that said, Hey, whenever you face trials and temptations and different things, uh, know that it's God developing your perseverance. It's God giving you strength. It's God making you grow through those times. And that's what Paul was wanting to, wanting to teach him. They're actually growing and increasing God's blessing upon them because they're living through this persecution. Now, don't be confused. This verse doesn't suggest that they, they suffering earned them worthiness. Don't, don't read that and say, well, it says there, uh, you know, consider this, consider that you may be counted worthy because of your suffering. It, it's simply Paul been saying this. Hey, he says it in, in Acts chapter 5.41. He talks about it in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He talks about being counted worthy. He uses that word, and it's being, it's being made justified. It doesn't mean made worthy. So he talks about being justified, not being made worthy. You know, uh, I, I've gone and I've worked storms with our company, and we've worked on the we've worked on the coast a lot of time. We went down and worked a hurricane and uh, and uh, on the Texas uh, border down there. I can't remember what time we were in, and then we went to New Orleans and we went to Mississippi, and we've been down to Florida and all of those places. Uh, when you dig a hole, when you dig down about that far. You hit water everywhere. I mean, you, you try to set a pole and you, you start augering the ground out, and when you're that deep, you start, you start pulling water up. Well, why I'm telling you that is because the trees down there, their roots are just that deep, and then they go down into the water. And, and so their, their root system is very shallow. But around here, what are we experiencing right now? A drought, aren't we? I mean, we really are. The grass is dead. There's there's different things happening, and trees are dying. But primarily, these big trees don't die just because of of the lack of water. You know why? Because of the dryness that they've experienced and the climate that we live in. Their roots have grown deeper and deeper and deeper, looking for water. So so because of the drought or because of the tough conditions. Trees around here and even grass and different crops, they, they have long roots because they've experienced so much dryness, they have learned that, that we've got to dig down. Well, well, when we have persecutions, we need to realize this. During those persecutions, our roots are to be digging even deeper into God's Word. We can't just give up and have a, a, a superficial relationship with God. In other words, just that far below the surface, we lose all hope. We lose all grasp. Through those times of persecution, our roots need to be growing and taking hold and getting deeper and deeper and deeper in God's Word so that we might be filled. And that's what Paul is trying to teach, that there's a, there's a promise of rewards and it's being called being worthy in Christ, and in persecution, our roots go deeper. There's there, there's several ways that faith deepens our uh, that trials deepen our faith. I listed about four. First thing, they make us cling to the Lord in a new way with a greater intensity. Now think about this: when you're in some trial, and I'm talking about a serious trial, we we start to cling to the Lord in a new way, don't we? It's, it's more intensified than it used to be. It's greater than it used to be. We, we really start digging, getting closer to the Lord. So that's one thing. The second thing, times of trial 
make us long for heaven in a way nothing else can. You know, if we, uh, if a loved one dies or we're tired or we're worn down by this life and uh, maybe we find out a trusted friend's really not that trusted friend and maybe it, it causes us to say, even so, Lord Jesus, come, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready. And I think the older we get, the more we say, you know what, uh, I'm ready. God, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. And I think that's because we see the trials and it makes us long more for heaven. The third thing, it's hard times that enables us to really appreciate God's blessings. Have you ever just been living through a hard trial and, and all of a sudden you realize God has really blessed me? You know, I've heard people say, if you think you've really got it bad, go to a hospital and look around and you'll find somebody in worse shape than you are. And, and that's the way we are sometimes. We begin to look at ourselves and we don't think about God's blessing. Through those hard times, we realize how blessed we truly are. Trials also, they prove who believers really are. You know, when we get in the midst of a trial, if we, if we, uh, and we're experiencing something, we really begin to say, you know, is this, am I really a believer? Do I really believe the promises of God? Do I really, we sing a song called Standing on the Promises of God. Are we able to say, you know what, I'm standing on the promises of God. I just wonder sometimes, and I've even wondered this about myself. I know how I think I would respond, but you know, if if being a Christian and meeting together was outlawed today, if they just said "You, you can't meet any longer as a group of Christians, if you do... Let's just say we're going to send you to prison. Let's just forget about the the burning and the crucifixion and all the things that these Christians were dealing with. If they just said, if we catch you together, you're going to prison. I wonder how many would be here this morning. I mean, I I think we probably all would like to say, you know, I'll be here. I'll be here, whatever. The government told us a a few years ago we couldn't meet together because of disease, and we all stayed home, including me. We'll never do that in this church again, let me just tell you right now. We won't ever do that again. Because I think it was us as Christians bowing down to say, okay, you're in charge, we're going to follow whatever you say. Well, the the government's not in charge of God's church. God the Father's in charge of the church. And when the persecution comes, and the government and the world says, hey, Christians, you can't be together anymore. We're going to make a decision. I'm going to stand by Christ or I'm going to follow what the ways of the world are, but there's rewards spoken of, and they're not doled out during this lifetime. Did you hear that? These rewards that, that Paul's talking about, they're not doled out during this lifetime. Warren Weathersby, he tells a, a story about two farmers, and these two farmers, one was a believer and the other was an atheist, and uh, when the harvest time come, the atheist went out and he taunted this believer and and said, boy, God has really blessed me. I had a great crop. I had a great return. And God didn't bless you too much this year. Where's your God at? And and the the atheist said, you know, you I thought you you paid and you believed that God and you you believed that that He was going to bless you because you're a Christian. And and the answer came from the from the Christian says, you know what? God doesn't always pay people in September. And and that story is so true. It's not always today that we look around at some people and we say, why are they getting blessed? I, I know that person and, and they're not where God... God, does, God didn't just pay them in July. God doesn't pay us in July. Maybe, maybe they had something good happen and they just need to realize that, hey, that just happened. But we as Christians need to realize that God's rewards are going to be paid 
at a later time, and His blessings will come even today. So the first, the promise of rewards is now. Second, the promise of repayment. The promise of repayment. So in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Since it's a righteous thing uh, with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Now drop down to verse 8. In a flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Now, God said, Christians, I have a promise of reward for you. And then we say, what about these people that are living the good life and they've done anything but be be faithful to God and here I am scratching by week after week after week Paul says, right, there's going to be a payment. And there's a promise of the payment. In verse, in verse 6, Paul kind of indicates there's two sides to God's judgment. We're going to talk about those two things. The first side is negative. It's retribution uh, to those who have troubled you. He told the church, he said, to those who have troubled you, those who have been persecuting you, there's a, there's a promise of repayment coming. So he wants to understand there's, there's repayment for that coming. And then the, the other side in verse 7 that we'll look at in just a moment, there's a positive side to it. Rest to those who are troubled. So he promises the church, hey, don't worry about this. There's a payment for those who God is going to repay retribution for what they've done. And there's a positive side that he's going to give rest to those who trouble. I've talked about this before. When we see rest, you know, rest can mean a lot of things. Uh, it can mean uh, just a situation you're in. You know, maybe you deal with some situation over and over and over, and, and finally you don't have to deal with it. You've got rest from that. Rest can be, you know, boy, I'm just wore out. I'm just, I'm beat down. I'm tired. And, and God says, you know what, I'm going to give you rest through that. So there's rest comes in a lot of way. But, but first I want to examine the, the negative side of this judgment. Now, listen, folks, don't turn this off. Because this is the part of the message that I said, this is the, this is the tough part. It's the tough part of preaching. It's the tough part of hearing. Because I think we get a picture of God and we say, you know, there's nothing negative about God. There's nothing negative in Christ. He's a God of love. Jesus Christ loves everyone. That's true. That's what the Bible says. God loves every person ever born. Jesus Christ died for every person ever born. That's true. But he says because of sin, we've been separated from God. And because there's separation, there has to be death for that separation. So Jesus Christ came and he said, I'm going to pay that price. I'm going to die for you that you can claim my blood and you can live forever. So we can say, you know what, I believe in God, I believe in all those things, but, but you know, I don't think that Christ would send anyone to hell. And, and I remember talking about this, and I think I've told you this, Patsy Wicks was here, and she said, God won't send anybody to hell. They'll make a decision to go. That's so true. We make a decision. Do we want to go to heaven? Or do we want to go to hell? And it's more than an intellectual decision. It's a decision that we say, you know what, I've sinned, and I have sinned, and and because I've sinned, I've been separated from God. But you know what, I want to go to heaven. 
So I'm going to claim the blood of Jesus Christ that I can go to heaven. If we never do that in our lifetime, and we're going to talk a little more about that in just a minute, then when we stand before God, the Bible says God is just. What does that mean? That doesn't mean God can say, okay, you never accepted me, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and let you on into heaven. That's unjust. That wouldn't be fair, would it? And God says, wait a minute, I'm just in my dealings, so we need to understand God is just, and that's just what's going to happen. So, so here's the first thing we examine on the negative side. It says that Jesus is, or that God's judgment will come like a flaming fire to take vengeance on those who do not know God. Now, this word vengeance, don't get this confused with revenge, okay? It's not, it's not this word. God will get revenge on those who have persecuted you or those who don't believe. Here's what that, that, that word vengeance, you may, I found this amazing. It is translated from the same word as righteousness. Who would have ever thought it? Who would have ever thought the word vengeance and the word righteousness come from the same root word? But that's the case. The word vengeance comes with, with the ideal of righteousness and that ideal of righteousness comes with this the administration of justice, okay? So, so when we say vengeance, we're simply saying this, God is going to administer justice to those who don't know me. That's just. That's what a just God do. That, that word just, it carries the ideal of that, of that administrative justice. So when we think about God, and if we get in that mindset of God's not going to punish nobody, you know, eventually we're all going to end up in heaven anyway, we need to think about this word vengeance and that ideal of God is going to be the administrator of justice. The purpose of vengeance, the purpose of vengeance is to satisfy God's holy law, that, 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 that perfectness before Him. And we only reap the, reach that through Jesus Christ. So these individuals, well, look at Romans 12. I bet, I bet y'all are familiar with this Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. This, this ideal of vengeance isn't for a personal grudge. I was thinking about this while I was sitting up here a while ago. Something you don't have to teach kids or adults, and, and you see it sometimes when parents are sitting in between two kids. Why do you do that? Oh, y'all can talk. Why do you do that? Keep them separated because if one, me and my sister, if we were sitting close, and we'd go on trips in daddy's truck, and it was single cab truck, because that's all the option was in. If my arm was on top of hers, what would she do? Put hers on top of mine, and what would I do? I'd put mine on top of hers, and we would go for a couple of miles, and then finally Daddy would swat and get both of us with one swat, you know. Or if, or if you hit somebody, what do you do? Hit somebody back. I mean, that's just, that's our nature. And I'm talking about children, but we grow up as adults, we do the same thing, don't we? Okay, you... You do something to me, I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to try to get you back, and, and when I get you back, it's going to be even worse than how you got me. So, so when we look at this and we kind of go, <laughs> God's, going to, God's going to pay vengeance to you. God's going to get you, and, and He's going to get revenge on you. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says, repay no evil for evil. And then in Romans 12, look at verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to the wrath of God. For it is written, 
Here's that word, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What did he say? He said, don't, don't repay evil for evil. Your arm don't have to be on top. You don't have to get the last lick because I'm going to administrate justice over those individuals who have sinned against me. So we need to understand God didn't look up there just laughing and waiting on the time that He can come down and thump somebody on the head. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to be an administrator of justice. They're going to stand before me one day and I'm going to be a just God. And they're going to give an account to me. So, so that's part of that repayment that God promises. These individuals are not punished solely for having persecuted Christians. That isn't what God's saying. He said, just because you persecuted a Christian, uh, I'm going to pour my vengeance out on you. But this, this, this persecution reveals they've never accepted God. They never accepted Christ as their personal Savior. They're identified in verse 8 as those who do not know God. They're simply guilty because of their rejection of God the Father. We sang a song this morning. I wanted to sing that song that says, How Great Thou Art. And it talks about, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, I look at the brooks that run, I, I see all these things. And God says in His Word, Men are without excuse when they see my creation. God has revealed Himself to man. He has revealed Himself to us that we may know of His creation. Let's bow our heads together. Father, this morning I pray that we would understand the truth of Your Word, Father. And Lord, as we, as we work towards finishing this up next week, I pray, Lord, that we would have a spirit of understanding, not as, they've, not as we and, and individuals focus upon uh, the, the, pres the presentation of the Word or the presenter of the Word, but Father, as we focus upon You, You would clear our minds to an understanding, Lord. Understanding that we... There's a reward waiting for Christians, those who've accepted you as a personal Savior, those who've taken on the new nature, the new self, have buried the old man in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, we know there's still times of, of struggle between that old nature and new nature, but Father, when we're born again, we're in the family of God. And Father, with that, you promised there are rewards coming. They may not be here in September, but we know, Father, through the long haul, there's blessings in life. There's eternity waiting that surpasses all the sufferings of the day. Father, I pray we'd also know in your justice, there's a promise of judgment. There's a promise of repayment. Lord, I pray that we would understand the justice that you have. Father, not simply claiming the the love of God and the love of Jesus and, and say, you know, how I think we'll all end up in heaven. But, but, but Father, we would understand that because You're just, because You're righteous, because You're holy, You say, leave room for me to administer justice. Lord, I pray that that would click within our hearts, Lord. Father, I pray for any here that's never accepted You as your personal Savior. Father, we really simply look at the Word of God today. Lord, that's all we've done. And, and Your Word is just, Your Word is right, Your Word is true. Lord, I pray Your Holy Spirit would move within our hearts. Father, calling us into Yourself. Father, for those that's never accepted, have a head knowledge but never accepted You as a personal Savior, Lord, I pray today would be 
the day of salvation. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.